This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jai Paul Valenza. And I'm Dave DeBoat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is it. Um, you know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our family. And thanks for joining us today on Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Coming up on the show today, we'll have uh, Dave Debo talking with uh, Sam Radford of the We the Parents of Western New York. Also, Ann Bobak uh, with Spectrum Health Services. We'll be talking with uh, Bridget Jaipal Valenza. But right now, we're with uh, Murray Holman, who's the executive director of the Stop the Violence Coalition. Murray, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Murray, before we talk about moving forward, I just want to go back because you were right there mm-hmm. uh, on the scene very quickly uh, two weeks ago. It seems like a lifetime ago uh, what happened over at the Jefferson Avenue Tops. But uh, just take us to those those minutes afterwards when you were there, um, what the scene was like. Wow. I, I really never thought about it being two weeks. It goes by so fast. But uh, coming on to that scene and uh, – happened to ride around and get into it. Uh, we call it, we was calling it ground zero, uh, but getting there and seeing our community angry, uh, police department on point on, you know, station, um, trying to secure the scene. Uh, we're keeping our, our folks back because they have loved ones that has been lost in, in that scene at tops. Uh, it was chaotic a little bit, but then we, um, as West Union or Peacemakers in that Stop the Violence Coalition and other groups, uh, Bad Debates and uh, Buffer United Front Fathers uh, and, uh, you know, GYC Ministry and uh, Mad Dash, we went into an action of trying to um, calm people down and let's see uh, how we can make this um, be much easier for our community to, to bear. Tensions were high, of course. Uh, did Were there any sparks of... Uh We'll call it aggression during that time. Yes, of course, of course. I mean, that's expected. We are human. Um, our our loved ones have been, um, you know, um, actually some of them were murdered. Uh, some of them were um, hurt. Uh, we have no uh, communication going across the board, and families were just trying to get there and, and see. Um, so we develop a relationship with the Buffalo Police Department, our organization, so we can pull officers over uh, from lieutenants all the way up to Tommy Champion and others um, just to say, can you check on this person? Uh, we were one of the organizations that came out and said, we need a crisis services on here like immediately. And then um, they listened to our concerns of Rev Lewis and his team came out uh, Metro sent the bus down. Uh, we were doing things out of the norm uh, because of this situation, but the city of Buffalo uh, neighbors, uh, good love neighbors, I'm calling them good love okay. neighbors. Uh, we went into action of um, setting up some things and then getting some family, some help 
on whether their loved one was inside. I had a young man come to me said his grandmother uh, had a heart problem and she was there to get her medicine. I said, well, the pharmacy is closed, but let's, let me make a call. So they went and talked to her because she was being interviewed at the time. Let's get her some help. That's uh, that's certainly uh, good to hear that mm-hmm. solutions were being found, and that's really a big part of, of what we need to, to hear more about as we move forward, finding solutions. Of course, your group has spent years trying to quell these pockets of violence that we see around the, the region, specifically, of course, in the city of Buffalo, working with you know these situations where we're seeing you know 10 people losing their lives in yes. a mass shooting is obviously tragic. But, of yes. course, there are young people losing their lives to gun violence on a consistent basis in cities across America and here in the city of Buffalo. So you're, you have a, a certain... In, you're in touch with those types of young people. I'm curious about their response to what happened at the tops. A white, alleged white supremacist comes in, shoots 10 black people to death inside there. I would only think that there's a lot of anger. A lot of anger, uh, but they, they're confused uh, because they're saying uh, we have people dying on our street daily. And the response of the community is not like this. When we came to mass. Uh, number of people uh, um, killed. Uh, it seemed like the attention came more stronger. Uh, but we have been, um, South Violence Coalition, uh, we lobby uh, with Gun Sense of New York. Uh, we've been working with uh, New York's Gun Violence and uh, other to go and lobby about guns. Uh, um, Congressman Higgins and the Senator Kennedy and the mayor and others have been really trying to get us funds to manage this stuff here and to talk about it. But we, um, I have been to over 500 funerals and over 500 homicides in the city of Buffalo. And that is enough uh, across the nation of young people being killed. Uh, with not just the handgun, but with your AR-15, with your AK-47s. Um, we had an incident just happened at McDonald's not even three months ago with, you know, young men were killed at McDonald's with a high-powered weapon. Uh, so we have to do some as legislation to stop that. I'm glad you, you brought that up because uh, earlier this week we had a, a stop in here from uh, uh, Sandy and Lonnie Va- uh, Phillips. They have c- quite a story. They're actually their their daughter. This is tragic. They lost yes. their daughter to a mass shooting at the uh, Aurora, Colorado movie theaters so many years ago. They sold their house. They grabbed an RV. They started this group called Survivors Empowered. But before they did that, they reached out, like a lot of people did, to national organizations, uh, anti-gun violence organizations, and they became disillusioned. They had the money, and they controlled the narrative. But the narrative was not always in agreement with what we wanted to do. We thought it needed to be a ground uh, swell, grassroots up. And we've been fighting for that with the big organizations. And so we decided in 2017 that we needed to go out and do something different, and which is we have been doing. And we've had some good success with it. We have a network now of survivors that are rising up. We are, um, we formed a group. Uh, the time is now, and it, it certainly is now, as we're all seeing with these two back-to-back uh, public mass shootings. I should mention that Sandy and Lonnie... Uh were here when yes. things happened in Texas and they had to hop on a plane and get down there right away. But what about that? Wow. They say the time is now. Yes, absolutely. The time is now. The time has always been now to deal with these issues and um, the resources that our organizations have. We run it on our own money. 
Um, we had a bus that broke down. Um, you know, I thought Western New York would say, okay, here's another bus. Uh, uh, that never happened. I ended up getting another van uh, with 245,000 miles on it. 2009, <laughs> I was falling apart, but we still pushing forward. Um, the resources are not there, but what he was talking about was something that was so dear that when we walk and we march on Washington, who's listening? Who's listening? Uh, it has affected all of us, not just Democrats, Republicans, whoever it might be. It's time for a change to happen here. And uh, we're going to uh, go down to D.C. I believe they're going to be going there for a rally coming up in June. Uh, I'm going to go down there with my own resources again uh, to go there and talk and see how we can lobby um, and put this on the front line of how do we curve violence. We know we're not going to get all the guns off the street, but we just want to talk to people and they might change their way of thinking. Um, trust me, it's a lot of groups out here, not just white supremacy groups, there's black supremacy groups, so many different types of groups of people that want to put hate. And we have to nip that in the bud and make it about love in our community. Uh, the United States is a great place to be right now, but we're the only ones that's really doing mass shootings uh, across the nation. And that got me kind of confused here right now of this gun um, that is used to just main down people, young people in Texas, um, here in Buffalo, Sandy Hooks, all over. It's, 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 it's tired. I'm tired of it. Murray Holman mm -hmm. is the executive director of the Stop the Violence Coalition. He's our guest this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Uh, Murray, you did tell me also you've been down at the, the scene. You call it yes. Ground Zero at 1275 uh, Jefferson Avenue. Um, a lot of people are coming by there for a lot of different reasons. I'm surprised, though, the people that seem to have a maybe a little more sympathy to this sh mass shooter than I would think would be showing up at the scene, but you've dealt with some people like that. Yes, well, we're bridging a gap. Uh, we actually had the Muslim community come there. They, I reached out to them. I said, I don't want your food. I just want you to come there and pray. We had the motorcycle cubs come down there, over 200. They came there to pray. So uh, all we want is people to come there to pray. Uh, you, your resources are great sometimes, but we just need prayer uh, to, to, to really make us uh, know who our neighbors are. And it, it's crucial right now. Um, the media has left mostly. It's just the local media that's here. Uh, but once that left, then people starting to, you know, Put a comments, but what I want to see happen down there with the resources that's coming, uh, that they start building now. Don't wait until next year when you're having this memorial and nothing has been built in that area. I, I even uh, approached the, uh, the Pagulas and said to them that uh, we need something like we have a Hall of Fame for the football teams, we have a Hall of Fame for the for the basketball team, we have a Hall of Fame for uh, hockey. Let's put a Hall of Fame for homicide victims across America to be built over there so people could come and see what this is all about. And so that's what he said. Let's talk about it. And, you know, I'm not looking for money to come to my organization. I just want something to go there so people can really see how much this gun violence is affecting us across this nation. You know that neighborhood so much better than anybody else, mm -hmm. and you know the people. Um, what needs, you, I love that idea about the, the Hall of Fame, other things that are needed in that community to make it whole again? Well, we have two banks that's there. Uh, we have housing that's there. We need commerce 
at a, a low level of Rennie, not to be wide up and trying to get the big bang for the money. Uh, we need resources far as uh, education. There is no community center over in that area, none. Um, and that needs to be there as well. And so, um, you know, we can get things across the board, but um, black um, entrepreneurship programs, um, they have the Beverly Grace Center that's right there. It used to be the old library. Um, that should be up and running. I know the Urban League is right now renovating right on the corner of uh, Glenwood and Jefferson for crisis services, what they're giving. Um, so, um, and they're renting right now. So well, we need some things that people can really just say, I need some help. And I need you to um, understand that we're trying to bring the dollar back into the community. So those persons that own property for years and years and years and waiting for this big rainbow to come, right. take it back and says, look, this is what we need to be doing. It's interesting you, you mentioned how the media has pretty much departed uh, the, the scene here now and gone off to the next mass uh, shooting. But we're talking to uh, Lonnie and Sandy Phillips, that, that came up as a matter of fact. You know, what happens when the crowds begin to fade? Obviously, it's still fresh, and I'm sure you've seen how everybody rallies to start yep. and things do fade. But mm-hmm. there is that sense here right now that people want to rally around these victims. 80% of the people that start to rally now, you'll have 20% of them left five years or 10 years from now. But can those 20% make a difference? Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we met with people. In fact, I, I went into the uh, TOPS um, Associates area yesterday and made sure that they had a copy of the survivor's toolkit. Uh, We've talked with pastors, we've talked with lawyers, we've talked with street groups that work on the street um, and, you know, let them know that we're here for the long term. We may not live in Buffalo, but we're here for the long term and we we will always be there for our survivor family, period. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what color your skin is, guess what? You've lost somebody. And... uh, we all bleed the same blood. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat. No. If you're a Republican, uh, we love you. You're a survivor. It makes no difference, uh, even though you're voting for people that are voting against your interest. Again, that's uh, Sandy and Lonnie Phillips with us earlier this week. Uh, you can find out more about their story and about their group, uh, Survivors Empowered, at WBFO.org. But Murray Holman, uh, it, he touched upon upon that, that idea there of that 20% of the people can make a difference. Absolutely. What do you want people to do right now? What can, there are people in this community who, you know, these are people who aren't always on Jefferson Avenue. Right, right. What can they do to make a difference? What can they do to help things out? 34 North, Thurman Thomas uh, has a great investment in the in the community. Uh, entrepreneurship for job training for our youth. Uh, we know the stadium's getting ready to be built. Let's get these guys um, that's on our street corners or in our programs. The training that they need right now uh, have pop-up uh, facilities right now so that know that something's going to be built there. Um, and let the Seminelli's and the Sinatra's uh, come forward and start uh, breaking ground uh, quickly in our community with the short-term plan, not a long-term plan, of having these buildings uh, done up 
and then I think we can save it. Youth Build uh, right now does a great training program uh, with our youth. Um, I'm always taking kids that's in trouble there. And then with the program that I do with the GIFT program, that's Guns Involved and Violence Eliminated, through the Department of Criminal Justice, we have probation, law enforcement, and the community break, uh, groups like myself. And then the Sheriff's Department as well uh, comes aboard and helps out. And I'm right now in the Sheriff's Reserves. Right. Uh, just a uh, big shout-out to uh, Jack, uh, the DT instructor, and um, uh, Mr. Sergeant O'Neill for um, the work they're doing. But Sheriff Garcia is now looking for a diverse group of uh, people to be a part of that plan. So you will see different diverse groups at the games and other places. Um, it's a shift change into our new commissioner, um, uh, Chief Gamalia of Buffalo Police Department. Uh, he brought out his new officers to let them know it's about community. So I'm looking forward to having relationships with our community that we now blend together and get results. It's time for Jefferson Avenue to really shine. It's been dormant for a long time, and this is the time to do it. And it's interesting, you also told me as part of the, you know, being part of the, the peacekeepers and also mm-hmm. the Stop the Violence Coalition, you've been trained by a number of different law enforcement organizations, that, yes. which I think is I think a lot of people might find it uh, right. surprising. I went to the FBI Citizen Academy. I went to the Buffalo Police Department Citizen Academy, and I went to the Sheriff Citizen Academy. And and um, with those training, uh, I learned more about the police on how they do business, and now I can bring that back to my community. Um, and the situation that happened at Tops. Some of that training that I have experienced has showed me what direction we should have went. And, and, and I believe it was training that um, things didn't get the way it wanted to get. Our community wanted it one way, but the training, uh, it kicks in on that level. Uh, but we have a lot to do. We have new officers coming out on our streets, and they have to understand that they have to get out their cars and talk to the community and see how it works. And I believe we can do that here in Buffalo. But our community-based groups have to get out and talk more to law enforcement. So it's a shift uh, to make it work. Uh, Pastor Giles has done a lot of work in our community. He's getting a little older. Uh, he never gets any sleep. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to go in that direction. But our families are affected. Uh, we, we have had crisis services taught to us because we've been affected by it. So we have to get ourselves some healing as well. Um, you know, that's the hardest part about being an activist. Who comes to us and talk to us? Right. We dealt with a lot of death. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Mm. Finally, Murray, yes. we're come winding down here the last 30 seconds or so. That Jefferson Avenue community, what makes it special? Because it's one of the roots of our community. Uh, at one time, you could not walk down Jefferson without going to a business door to door to door. And I'm, gonna, I'm telling my age a little bit here. <laughs> um, but it, it was like that. It had that energy. The Apollo was there. Uh, now is a media center. But I remember I'm still talking to Raymond Moss to this day. Um, and he's still alive. And it, it's just that. That has not taken place. Some people have came and bought property and waiting for something instead of just trying to move forward now. Um, our uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, our um, councilman and our mayor, uh, let's let's move the red tape to the side. Let's get businesses there. I started our Marnetta Malcolm. She does the Funk Fest there every year. Um, Mike's Lounge has been there. It's other things that's there, not just um, dealing with alcohol or anything like that, but it's just community. We don't have nowhere to go, so we need to go there. Murray Holman. Uh, uh, the Executive Director of Stop the Violence Coalition. Thanks for being with us on Buffalo What's Next. Thank you. 
Coming up, Dave Debo will be joining us uh, with uh, Sam Radford. Also later on, Bridget Jaipal uh, Valenza with Ann Bobak of uh, Spectrum Health Services. This is Buffalo What's Next. This Memorial Day, as we honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country, be sure to visit Buffalo Toronto Public Media on YouTube. We've created a special playlist of original productions that feature men and women who have served, key battles in our nation's history, and what it means to fight for freedom. Find it all on Buffalo Toronto Public Media's YouTube channel. Funding for WBFO's Business and Economy Desk is made possible by MNT Bank. Understanding what's important for 160 years. Member FDIC. Take a musical journey through modern American folk music when the Smothers Brothers and Judy Collins host This Land is Your Land tonight at 9 on WNED PBS. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. Uh, If you're listening to us live in the morning, that's why I say good morning. A reminder, of course, that this program is also on Not Live every night at 9 o'clock. It's an important conversation. We want to try and give you as many opportunities to listen to it as we can. And it's a conversation that will be unapologetic at looking at what comes next in the community after the top shootings on Jefferson Avenue. So with that in mind, we have Sam Radford here. He's with We the Parents Coalition. He's a longtime education advocate in the Buffalo area, also works at the Community Action Organization. Sam, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, especially for something that's unapologetic. I hear you. <laughs> well, that, that really is the goal, to kind of look at what, what happens in the community next. And, and before I do that, I do just want to touch on something. Um, you and I go back a ways. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've ever seen you in a suit and tie before, but there is a reason. Yeah. You're off to a funeral. No question. Yep. Um, How many have you gone to lately? This will be the third, um, mm. and then it'll be. I'll, I'll go to another one on tomorrow. Um, yeah. So it's very, you know, somber. I'm saying sober. How's the community doing? You know, um, I, I think it's important for us to say right now that we're not doing all right. You know, and so often you want to say things are fine, things are well, uh, but in a lot of ways, um, this is a blow that you feel, you know, and it reverberates, you know what I'm saying? So the community is, you know, struggling to come back from it. Give me an example other than just, oh, gosh, people are sad, obviously. Oh, gosh, people have lost people, obviously. What kind of stuff have you seen at the grassroots level on the street? Oh, my gosh, people on edge. I mean, listening to, you know, a friend of mine, Della, uh, talked the other day about being afraid to go to Walmart, you know, and people freeing, you know, just hesitant about going grocery shopping. That's a real, you know, struggle to feel that, especially when these are senior citizens, you know, who don't feel safe in their own community. Um, to hear children in schools, you know, you know, here and not being comfortable going to schools. I mean, so it's, it's, it's just a community on edge right now, and, and and to be not at peace doing regular everyday things is a real challenge. And we have to address the elephant in the room. These people were targeted because of their race. Yep. 
that layers on top of it, no doubt. Yeah, and 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 then that becomes the real issue: the fact that the conditions was such that you were targeted, and the thing that you have, the reason why you targeted hasn't changed. So you know you continue to be targeted. You know, and 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 at least from my perspective, um, this is the worst case scenario of targeting. Um, but the targeting was going on before that. I mean, because we had the concentrated poverty that was you know pushed into that area. That's a version of targeting. And and that's exactly why we we're having this discussion. What now? Because uh, the guest yesterday said the 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 shooter has been apprehended, but the killer is still at large. What now? Wow, that's a good way to say that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was uh, Reverend Julian Cook. Wow. Um, and, and wow. He was quoting someone else, but he said that that really summarizes it. Wow. The killer is still at large. For wow. you, what does that mean? Wow, it means literally, you know, reading on the front page of the Buffalo News today that it was a federal agent in the room, you know, with th- th- that was communicating back and forth. In a chat room, yeah, right. In a chat room, you know, with them, the, you know, hearing that. A former know. federal agent, the, the, according to the Buffalo News, the FBI is investigating the fact that a former federal agent was in some of the same social media chat rooms as the accused shooter. And because of that, they feel he and about six other people may have had perhaps 30 minutes notice, advance notice, about the shooting. And he sent them something, according to them, he sent them something essentially asking them to review the plan. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, and, and, and just, the, the, just the kind of, the possibility that that's true. And, and to think about that West New York has the, Erie County has the second largest number of people that was arrested based on, you know, the, what was going on in the Capitol riots on January 6th. You know, just to you know, understand that, you know, somebody came from outside our community and did this, but to kind of know that it's around us in a real way. And, you know, you, you know, it's a, it's an opportune time now, you know, where, you know, that may come out and you, you have to be on edge. You have to walk with your head on a swivel. So when you hear someone say, oh, he wasn't from here, Sam, uh, that does nothing for you. Yeah. You know, and, and because um, because I understand the, the structural institutional racism that's pervasive in this community um, that we sit by and just kind of accept, you know, it, it, it for me, not only does it does not, it makes me even more concerned. Give me examples. I know you've got a lot, and I know that you're specifically active in education circles. But beyond that, what what's the number one problem you think needs to be addressed in the broadest way? Well, I, I, I have to be in education to me. I mean, at the end of the day, we know that that, that that area was targeted because of the concentrated poverty and the high concentration of African-Americans over there. Um, it was the most vulnerable, you know, part of the community. It had the least amount of gun ownership. You know what I'm saying? It literally was an area that was a sitting duck. And so, you know, what makes it a sitting duck? Ultimately, because, you know, the education of the people there. And we knowingly Right now, as we sit here, we knowingly make know that we are not educating those the, the, that community. Children in that community are not only seventy five percent of the kids in that community don't read, write, or do math on grade level. All right, tell me about graduation rates. I know they've been improved, but are still an issue. Yeah, we, talk so, about Buffalo Public Schools graduation rate according to race. So, so right now the graduation rate is the highest it's ever been seventy nine point five percent, which is a good thing, right? But then when you go and you look into the numbers. The, the state education department says they give out something called a CCRI, College Career and Civic Readiness Indicator, along with the graduation rate, which means that of the 79 percent of people who got a high school diploma, they said 75 percent of them are not college and career ready. So they got a paper that is essentially worthless, that they can't go out and get a job with the paper. They can't go to college with the paper. They got to take remedial courses with the paper. So we can't just talk about graduation rate without talking about whether those kids are college and career ready. And let's talk about that 79 percent. 
that's African-American students. Or is that the overall? Yeah, that's the overall. You know okay. what I'm saying? So, but the number is up for African-American students. But even even that, th- those are COVID numbers. You know what I'm saying? Because kids okay. didn't have to take exams. Yeah. You know, and again, I don't want to diminish the progress. But at the end of the day, let's not pretend that we these kids are ready, you know, to, to, to go out in society and be meaningful contributing members. It's progress, but pro- progress, you'd say, with an asterisk. With an asterisk. All right. Now let's talk about the disparity. Graduation rate for whites, graduation rate for non-whites. Yeah, still the gap is there. You know what I'm saying? Still, we still have a gap. And, and then, you know, the truth of the matter is if we really want to be honest with ourselves, when you look at where white students go to school in Buffalo, the highest percentage of white students go to City Honors, Olmstead, Hush Tech, and Da Vinci. There's 20% of their students in, in Buffalo are white. But at City Honors, it's 63%. So three times the average. At Hutch Tech, it's 48%, double the average. Da Vinci, 42%, double. Uh, Olmstead, 45%, double. And everywhere else where you have the majority of black students go, we don't see those graduation rates. Now, wait a minute. My understanding is that City Honors and, uh, to some degree, Hutch Tech all kind of sprang out of the city's desegregation case back, what, 20-odd years ago. Yeah. Buffalo School. You know, 1976. Yeah. yeah. Arthur V. Nyquist, I That's believe. That's right. <laughs> yeah. George Arthur uh, versus uh, then Education Commissioner yep. Ewald Nyquist. Yep. A federal lawsuit that said Buffalo is too segregated, has to desegregate. The case lasted for, yeah, maybe 30-odd years yeah. or so before Judge Curtin. And ultimately, one of the solutions that came out of it was the idea of the magnet school. That's right. Um have these centers of excellence, open them up, and instead of having a segregated neighborhood school over here because of geography and another segregated neighborhood school over here because of geography, the idea was these centers of excellence would draw from both neighborhoods and you would end up with these magnet schools pulling, having some attraction, pulling in a mixed base of students. Right, and it worked very well for white it students. It did? Okay. It worked very Tell well for more. white students. So from 1976 to 1995, when the, when, the, when that desegregation case ended in 1995, it worked well. You had a good mixture of kids, 30-30-30, you know, um, at City Honors. It worked well for performing arts. And it, what it did is it brought white students into the inner city. But what did it do for black students? It took black students and sent them out to South Buffalo, to South Side, South Park. It sent black students out into Riverside. It, it sent black students out into those communities. And those schools didn't get any become centers of like Those were just regular neighborhood schools. And then what happened in those schools? The white people in those communities left. So now all those schools that we got desegregated over into are majority black schools now. So when you go to South Buffalo, North Buffalo, those are majority black schools that are failing schools for all practical purposes, that we're shipping kids out of their own neighborhood where their parent can participate to go into a kid's school in South Buffalo or North Buffalo West Buffalo, where they have less engagement and the ac- there's nothing special about the, ac- the, the, the education to make a difference. So what do we do? There we, there we go. I think the first thing we got to do is we got to admit that the desegregation thing didn't work, that essentially we need to let children go back to school in their own neighborhood so their parents can be part of what's going on. We know 49 percent of people in Buffalo and on the east side don't have a car. So to be literally expect them to be, be to send their kids across town is just unreal. And we ain't got enough bus drivers now anyway. We don't even pick up kids every every day. We leave kids on bus stops even right now because we don't got enough bus drivers. Don't got enough bus aides to have them safely in the bus. We got to stop pretending like we're desegregating school. When we never we never did. Anytime there's discussion of the city of Buffalo and why the east side is the east side, in air quotes, um, ultimately there's talk of the Kensington and how it plowed through the middle and disrupted neighborhoods. That's right. Sounds like you're saying we need neighborhoods again. Yes. 
But how do we make sure that those neighborhood schools aren't going to be segregated? Well, you first of all, what you do is you make sure you have affordable housing, you have mixed, you know, mixed housing in those neighborhoods, and you have people living together as opposed to concentrating poverty and have all poor people live around. And we doing that by design. We actually doing that on purpose, you know. And so all we got to do is stop doing that. So this is bigger than just looking at schools and education. Oh my gosh, it's way bigger than looking at schools and education. I mean, all the investment we're making downtown, all the investment we're making, you know, in neighborhoods, you know, where you know, have middle class neighborhoods that is intentional we got to make those kind of investments in the east side we got to when i grew up dave literally there were grocery stores all over the east side tops bales wegmans super you go to central it was three grocery stores in the super in the in the central park plaza by itself now we are living in a world where we got one grocery store in on the east side of buffalo i mean what are we talking about here? why though is that is that a racist tops is that other businesses saying oh i don't want to go there why why does that exist and how do we change it because we literally we concentrated the poverty we literally had homeowners move and we created developments and now it's not a good business investment to so go I was just going to go there no thank you because if if the poverty is concentrated then tops is legitimately correct when it can say there is not necessarily a market for us there. And all those people that left Bales and Super Duper and all those people that or Wegmans not coming, all that. You had to almost have, you had to incentivize Tops to come in there. Tops didn't come in there. I was part of that fight. We fought for 10, 15 years to get them to come, and you had to incentivize them to do it because we purposely concentrated the poverty on the east side. We got to break that up. How? And, and I keep asking that same question. But, the same but I way think you that's, did it. That's the premise, I think, of this program is what yeah. does the community need now? How do you... How do you do that, Sam? So the same way that you did it, just like you designed it to where you concentrate those poverty. Now what you do is you set it up to where instead of redlining, you actually have people who are able to get home ownership and support to be in mixed income neighborhoods. Just like and then you have people go to school together and provide quality education in those mixed income neighborhoods. I think you break up the poverty. And, and if you travel anywhere around the country, you see that this is not a, uh, this is not this is not normal. The way we live in a segregated by race and class in Buffalo, I could travel around New York State and you don't see communities set up that way. We just can't keep the community set up this way. During the vigil on Sunday night after the shooting, uh, the one at the Macedonia Baptist Church, Mm -hmm. there was someone there. I believe it might have been Miles Carter, but there was someone there who uh, took to the front of the church and basically said, uh, there are a lot of issues we need to address. And he started rattling them off. And at one point, he said something to the effect of, to heck with subsidized housing. Let's do something about home ownership. There you go. Home ownership, you know what I'm saying? Literally supporting businesses in those neighborhoods from people of and from that community. Um, but really, that's really the if we can make a concentrated effort to support people getting to the home ownership and have mixed income neighborhoods, I think that'll take us halfway there. Sam Radford is with us, longtime education advocate, former chair of the Buffalo Public Schools District Parent Coordinating Council, now with a coalition called We the Parents. You also work at the CAO, mm-hmm. Community Action Organization. Yep. That is one of the organizations that springs from the federal anti-poverty programs. We only have about maybe five minutes left here, but talk to me about how the region, how the city, how even the government, let's talk about the federal government because that's part of what you do. How does the region address poverty? 
Well, so CAO is obviously part of the solution. In other words, because what we're doing at CAO. You would say that because you exactly. work there. I get you. Exactly. But because we're also working with block clubs. We're okay. working with small businesses. We're working with p- p- people with low income. We're working with parents, students at the education center. So more support so that we can do a better job at reaching all those people. In the, in, in, in that Because that's our target community. So we got to bring, we got to work to bring those people up to a level of self-sufficiency. Anything short of getting people to self-sufficiency is not adequate. And that's jobs? Or is there something else there? It's not just jobs. It's living wage jobs. Because right now we have a shortage of bus drivers and bus aides because the job is there. But the job is not a living wage job. They want people to go to work every day and, you know, work a part-time job without no benefits and, and and try to take care of a family. We need living wage jobs for poor people in Buffalo. Do you bring them in through partnerships with existing business? Yeah, I mean, I, what you do, I think, as Buffalo's economy growing, you see it starting to happen, you know, by what's going on downtown. What you Canal do, side, downtown, yeah. Downtown. But but my point is what you do, and you, and they, you can't get around this, Dave. You have to better educate the students. Because if you don't better educate the students, they, they're not going to be able to get those jobs. They won't be job ready, you say. Exactly. They're okay. not career ready. And so, so you can't get around education. Education is the cornerstone. But after you get education, you have to be able to stop giving people these, these not living wage jobs and having people be out the working poor. You have to give people jobs with benefits and be able to take care of their family. At the top, I said it's unapologetic, so I want to bring you into a little bit of a controversial area. But as long as you're talking education, as long as you're talking about uh, the Buffalo public school system graduation rates, let's talk about curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, critical race theory is a hot button. Right. You would nonetheless argue, I'm, I'm guessing, that it's important. No question. To teach. But, 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 but I think it's more important. Don't, uh, I'm not on the side of saying that we should just teach critical race theory, right? Because we don't even teach that. It's actually culturally and linguistically responsive teaching. That's that we where I was going to go. Thank but, you. But, but I'm on the side of even before we prioritize that, let's teach the kids how to read, write, and do math on grade level. Let's have kids graduate college and career ready. I think we have got pulled into that conversation about CRT premature. Because if kids can't read, write, and do math, what difference do it make on, on the other stuff I'm going to teach them? I want them to learn the truth. That's important. It's a critical part of it. But let's prioritize kids being able to read on grade level. So to you, it it almost is twofold. Educate the kids to make them job ready, but also educate, I don't want to be divisive here, educate the white kids so they understand the history. I said that when I spoke at the you know healing circle that um, as much as people don't want to hear this that that young man who 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 was the, the, who did this horrific um, killing shooting he he was a victim too I mean because he was literally in a, a echo chamber of miseducation that's being perpetuated oh, he's 18 years old for God's sake you know what I'm saying so that, I, I would hate for today he's the animal and tomorrow my 18 year old children you know from our community who who are miseducated who do something atrocious, they become animal. I'm saying they're both victims, and we got to educate them all. Educate the white kids, educate the black kids, educate us all on the truth. What, what does a curriculum that does that look like? Um, I, I have two young kids. They're, they're beyond high school age now. But if you ask them whether they're racist or whether they've seen racism, uh, I live in one of the suburbs, they'd say, yeah, I have seen it, yeah, I'm aware of it, but it's not me. So they have kind of internalized, I would say, and realize that it's a problem. And I use them as an example because I think if you ask any white person, are you racist, you're going to get the answer that says, well, why, of course not. How do you then expose them, especially at the level you're talking about, uh, at the, the level of students? How do you expose them to the idea that, hey, there's some thinking here you have to 
you might have to adjust. Well, the first thing that you got to do is you got to tell them the truth about race. There's no such thing as white people. When you go when you go to Europe and you talk to people, then nobody identifies as white. Everybody there, I'm, I'm Italian, I'm I'm German, <laughs> I'm Irish, and there's no white. The white they don't become white till a, a person of color walks in the room and they have to come together as a group. So we playing a race game is what got us here. If if I respect you as a human being, I, as long as I've known you, Dave, I don't get preoccupied with your white on black. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's a social a social construct that makes a difference between us that denies the things we have in common. And so I think we got to stop playing that game and we got to educate children. And when you watch children, put children together by themselves, little kids, kindergarten, first grade, they don't, they don't know nothing about that. We actually socialize them to get into their corner of white and black. And isn't the school part of that? Yes. The okay. so, but the society is part of that. The school is part of that. I think in school we should just teach the truth. We know what the truth is. We know what happens. We don't have to. We don't have to. We, we, the truth is not always stuff we want to hear. It's not always good. The history of this country and the and its founding fathers is not always a good thing that we should be proud of. But it's the truth. Tell people what happened to people, and then let's talk about what we can do to make it better. Now we're here. Now our goal is to make the world better than we found it. We need to know the truth so we can do it authentically. Sam. Uh, you you gotta you gotta come down. <laughs> I, I, I'm joking. Yeah. I, I love your passion. Yeah, and I have a sense um, of urgency about this too. I mean, well, we that's, need to do it that's right. where I was going. Yeah. Um, not only uh, are you passionate about it, but I think there is exactly, and, and I was just going to go there. The idea of urgency after the shooting, it has to happen now, as far as you're concerned. And I'm so thankful that you did, y- y'all doing this show. Because, I mean, what my biggest fear was, Dave, was that once all the national media gone, this conversation is going to go away and we're going to go right back to doing the things that we've been doing. The fact that you're doing this show and you're doing it every day to keep this conversation in front of people, you have to keep this conversation going until something changes. We've been fighting on these education issues. Everybody knows the racism that goes on, the institutional racism going on, racism but in, in, in schools, but nobody's doing nothing about it. You have to keep the conversation going until somebody does something to change it. And I appreciate the fact that this show offers us a platform for, to have that conversation. Hey, we're glad to do it. I, I did want to go back to one thing because I think it gives us a nice uh, a nice way to end this segment and look ahead to the next segment. Earlier in the program, you talked about the idea that um, people are afraid. Mm-hmm. Up next, Bridget Jai Paul Valenza is talking with Ann Boback from Spectrum Health and Human Services. They're looking at the mental health aspects of it all. Are you... Uh, Talk about how crucial that is. It what is, are you seeing out it there? It is a cornerstone right now. If you don't go and start working with people, healing, um, it's, you, you, can't, you, have to, you have to be able to heal from the trauma before you can start doing anything else. And so part of that is anger that's pent up. Part of that is fear. But you've got to address it. And if you don't address it, you've got people that are walking around here that are t- ticking time bombs. You know, you, you say the wrong thing to them. You look at them the wrong way. You touch them, you know, and, and they explode. So we've got to address it before the problem gets worse. All right. Perfect segue. We'll be right back after this. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Stream the best from Buffalo Toronto Public Media's YouTube channel, Adirondacks, Canadian Rockies by Rail, Chautauqua and American Narrative, and so much more to watch. The very best of WNED PBS, now available on YouTube. Support for the Mental Health Initiative is sponsored by the Patrick P. Lee Foundation. Sometimes we miss our morning alarm, then we miss our morning news, and the whole day is off. That's when you can listen to the WBFO Brief Podcast to catch up on the day's news and get back on track. 
find it every weekday wherever you get your podcasts. And then like and subscribe so you never miss the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. There are several ways for you to join the conversation. Send us a message now on Twitter at WBFO. Email us at news at WBFO.org or just press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and leave a comment we can use on the air. We're here for you. This is Buffalo What's Next. Hello. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next, where we critically examine and have real conversations that led about what led to the Tops Massacre. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Today we're joined by Ann Bobeck from Spectrum Health and Human Services. She's been a clinician, program manager, and clinical director, currently working as program director of the Medication-Assisted Treatment Services for Persons with Opioid Use Disorder. And it's been a difficult time. How are you doing? I feel like I'm doing okay. Um, you know, it has been a difficult time, and um, as part of the group that's, you know, we're working out of the uh, Wiley Pavilion trying to help people, it's kind of felt sort of exhausting. I imagine so. Um, tell me about some of the efforts that are going on that have gone on and that are going on right now to assist people? Well, I've been involved with the counseling part. So we have had counselors at the um, Wiley Pavilion every day from 1 to 9, and um, we're going to continue that, although we are going to reduce the hours starting Saturday, I believe, and going from um, 3 to 7, at least up till June 3rd. What do you tell a grieving family, a grieving community, how do you even begin to process what has happened? Well, I think that one of the things that we would tell people, and we are telling people, is really acknowledging what they're feeling and not necessarily expecting that you're going to get over this in two days a week or whenever the, you know the the media coverage ends this is an ongoing issue and people continue to grieve and continue to feel at their own pace it's important i think for people to understand that trauma really stays with the right. body it stays with a community it stays internally it's internalized how how do you get that out Really, how do you start to begin to process that trauma? I mean, talking, I imagine, would help. Yeah, well, talking talking does help for a lot of people. Um, and the people that we've had coming into the center, they do want to talk about it. Um, they're struggling, and um, what do we what do we do? What do we say? Well. You know, help them acknowledge the acknowledge what they're feeling, helping them put some words to what they're experiencing and helping them talk about it. I think our focus at the center has also been really um, kind of getting through the moment, more of the mental health first aid type of uh, thing, you know, helping, helping you identify what's going on, um, 
kind of talking about some coping skills to manage whatever it is you're struggling with and reaching out to your natural supports um you know using what you what you have people tend to sometimes withdraw and isolate from those supports and trying to encourage people to reach out what are people, you know, obviously without getting into specifics, but what are some of the, the things that people have said to you? What are they, you know, what has brought them there? Well, I've only, um, you know, we, we're there in shifts and we have specific roles. I've only seen a, a few people myself, but I've talked to other staff uh, who have been there and both the people that I've seen and what other staff, people are angry. You know, they're very angry that this feels like it was allowed to happen and that it seems to be, for some people, okay that it happened because it happened to black people. So, I mean, so that's what people are feeling. And, um, you know, people are also depressed and they're upset. They're scared. Some people are not really wanting to leave their house. We've had people come to the center to talk and didn't want to leave their cars to come in, so staff had to go out to their cars, um, which was fine. You know, we could do that. Um, it's also been difficult for some people because, you know, it's a, it was a racist event. So a lot of people have experienced a lot of racist issues over their lifetime, so that's triggered a lot of things that they thought they had dealt with and put behind. So now that's coming up for a lot of people and they're confused. Like why why is this happening now? So we're we're seeing a lot of a lot of things there. So that you know, again going back to the fact that the trauma trauma stays yeah. with with the person, um especially if it maybe hasn't been dealt with in a healthy manner or it was just sort of suppressed to have an event like this happen again. And for them to be part of the community where it happened certainly brings up enormous amounts of grief or anger, a lot of emotions. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenzi. You are listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. We're talking to Ann Bobeck from Spectrum Health and Human Services about mental mental health. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the mental health of a mass shooter. There are people who would say, certainly, that if you are a mass shooter, there must be some sort of mental health issue that's going on with you. Do you think that that's, that argument would have any validity? I, I don't know that I would be an expert who could talk on that, but I would think that in this case, that did not appear to be the issue. Um, I, and, and I think that legally, I, I thought that there wasn't, they weren't even going that route in his defense. I'm not sure. But no, um, I don't think every mass shooter is mentally ill. Certainly there are some, obviously, who maybe are very uh, fixed on some type of thing. But I don't think that every mass shooter is a... Is necessarily... yeah. Um, is racism a mental illness? You know, I would say no. I don't think it is. I think it's, um, I think 
I don't know. I don't think it's a mental illness. It doesn't appear to be a, a mental illness. There's a lot of racist people out there, and they don't appear to be mentally ill. Um, racism is just racism. I think so. Yeah. And it's not a good thing, but I think it, yeah. This has to really have been difficult on the staff, on the first responders, on people who are out there day in, day out, um, assisting in the community. Tell me about how those first responders can care for themselves so that they can continue to care for the people in the community, for the people in the neighborhood. Well, there's always been a big focus on self-care for first responders and clinicians because there is such a high burnout rate. Um, I, I was telling you earlier, I had talked with um, someone yesterday. I was at the center, got home. I was exercising, trying to, you know, get my routine going. And all I could think about was what this person was telling me. So you do have to get back to, you know, your your routines, self-care, you know, the, the basics like eating, sleeping, showering, things like that are really important. Reaching out to your own support. So at the center, really, as we're waiting for other people, um, we are talking amongst each other, you know, and we're kind of u- utilizing ourselves for support. Um, we um, had stopped. Initially, we were also like eating junk food. <laughs> <laughs> like we were at the center, We, me and uh, one of uh, my coworkers, Jackie, we, we ate a box of cookies the one night. That was not helpful because then we were just feeling very crappy. So you have to do things to not feel crappy, do things to take care of yourself. How does one feel or make an attempt to feel safe, say, doing routine things like going to the grocery store? I think that is going to be very difficult for a lot of people for a long time. I think uh, all of us in the community are n- going to be nervous. I, I know myself, I was nervous going to a grocery store in my neighborhood. I, I, I didn't go there. I, I went to a different one. Um, I think that you, you, have, you still have to shop. You have to go out. You have to do those things. Maybe you don't go alone. Maybe you go to a different place or even maybe just basically, obviously, you can't go to their tops because it's not open yet. Maybe you just do basic things like um, when you go in there, you make it brief. You, you, you know, when we go to the grocery store, things like that, we all have our sp- specific spot. We go in and we, we park in a certain park in a different space. Make it different in some way. Um, but yeah, I, I think people are not going to feel safe, and I don't know what we could do to to feel safe. Certainly, um, you know. There is a, a matter of getting back to normalcy and getting back to a routine. But for a lot in, of people in that community specifically, they can't right. get, get back to normal. They can't get back to, to the routines that they have. So when you are talking about doing that normalcy, what, what do you think they can do? What are, are there healthy substitutes that they can employ in order to feel more of their routine, to feel more part of their community versus fear? Well, I think, you know, basically re- relinking with the things you did, like the supports, you know, 
if you went to church, go back to church. You know, if you um, played cards or you have a book club, you know, try and do those things again. Get out. Um, I think for some people it's been very helpful to be part of the volunteer effort um, because it's not only got them out of their house, but it's got people connected with the community so people are not isolated. I do think one of the worst things you could do is do nothing. Stay home, isolate, get your groceries sent in. You know, if that's what you have to do, okay. But I don't think you should do that forever. I think you have to get back out. In terms of caring for one another, what does someone who's not okay look like or sound like? Well, I think they they might look just like they always look, and you don't know that they're not okay. But a lot of people who have come in are struggling with the basics, like, you know, they're not comfortable going to work. Um, they're having trouble sleeping. Um, moods are all over the place, maybe very depressed, maybe very anxious and irritable. Um I don't know, but they might look perfectly okay because they don't want to share that they're not okay because maybe they need to be strong for their family or something. Sort of hard to to tell, but hopefully if you're not okay, you you can reach out and say that. It's okay to be not okay. Right, exactly. Uh, And if you are not okay, or if you have a family member who may not be okay, there's assistance for that. You're going to be out there. You're Hours will be a little bit smaller Mm -hmm. and diminished, but there's still help out there to be had, crisis services, um, and a number of agencies that we will have on our website that people can look up and um, be able to to have those resources, uh, even if it is to point you in another direction to say, here is -hmm. is what you need. Um, In terms of assisting the community with their mental health. Is there something that can be done in general for them? Um, I'm, other than what you already said, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, I think that everyone does not need counseling. I think people could reach out to their supports, get back to their self-care daily activities, but there is counseling available if you need it. You can come to the Wiley Center uh, you could come every day if you needed to. Um, reach out to the agencies. They'll be on your website, um, Crisis Services. There's um, certainly assistance, and I think that maybe people need to know that it doesn't have to be a long-term thing. Right. Right? It could just be there to help you get through today and tomorrow because... It, yeah, it, you're right. It could be a one and done. There's also Project Hope. That um, hopefully you'll put that link on your website because Project Hope is equipped to deal with um, people who are struggling with uh, the effects of this. Yeah. It's, I think, really important um, that there is stigma removed from asking for help. And when you need help to decide, you know, exactly how that looks to you. And certainly it wouldn't look the same to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's differences in in what you need and and how you need it and in what way you receive it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's the strength is in asking for the help. Um, 
And, you know, if you're not ready to ask for help, it's going to be there when you are ready. If you need time to process it, you know, then do what you need to do. But we're we're there. We're there for you. And help is different. It could be a couple sessions. It could be more long-term because maybe it's brought something up for you. Um, maybe it could be medications because no matter what, you just can't sleep and you can't stop panic, things like that. Thank you, Ann Bobek from the Spectrum Human Services and all of today's guests, Samuel Radford and Mari Holman. We want to hear from you. You can use the Talk to Us feature on the WBFO app to leave us a message or send comments and questions via Twitter or email. Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next, a program that unapologetically confronts the reasons why the May 14th mass shooting occurred in Buffalo. We amplify voices that have traditionally been marginalized and provide a forum for open, honest, and candid conversations. On Memorial Day Monday, we will not air Buffalo What's Next, so we can bring you small changes women of color building a business legacy, a special look at the stories of five minority women-owned small business owners, Native, Black, and Latino. We will be back with more of this discussion on Tuesday. That's our promise to you at WBFO.